Philippians chapter 4, verses 21 through 23. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet, greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. May God bless the reading of his word. Please be seated. Good evening. My name is Jason, the staff pastor here at Grace Downtown, and we are so glad that you are worshiping with us tonight. As you heard, just heard Pastor Jeff read, we are finishing up our journey through the book of Philippians that we started in January. And here we are seeing the signature in the letter. Last week we read kind of the closing of the letter, and this is the signature of the letter, which we will get to in just a moment. If you remember back to the way the church in Philippi was planted, the church in Philippi was planted based on a group of people that heard and believed the gospel, and these people were from different socioeconomic and ethnic backgrounds. But they all heard the gospel, believed the gospel, responded to the gospel, and they formed a church. Here at Grace, that's what we want our church to be about. We want to be a group of people that the only thing that holds us together is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and nothing else. So a couple of opportunities that we want to present to you to hear more about how we do this at Grace. The first one is in our membership class, which is coming up. We'll have a slide here in a bit about it. But Saturday, April 9th, it's in two weeks. On Saturday, April 9th, here in our office space at Old Brick, we will have our membership class from 9.30 to 11.30. We will have some bagels and coffee and we'll talk about why we exist as a church. I want to encourage you to come. I want to encourage you to come if you're new. I want to encourage you to come if you're not yet a member or if you have not been to this class. We want to encourage you to come. And since we last had this class a year ago, we've had a number of people join the church and we would love for you to come in here what the local church looks like in general, but more specifically what the local church here at Grace Downtown looks like. Even if you're just here for a year, um, if you know the end date when you're going to be moving away, we still would love to see you at our membership class. Um, The info is right up here, April 9th, 9.30 here at Old Brick. You can reserve your spot online and we would love to have you. Another opportunity uh, that we have is um, we were given some free books. Nikki Weinkoff let me know about some free books that the Gospel Coalition was giving out. So we got a box of 20 books and this book is called Rediscovering Church. It's a, a short book that the Gospel Coalition put out that just walks through the basics of what is a church. So those 20 copies are on a table tonight right back by our offering box and I want to offer those to you. So the first 20 people that go and grab the book, it's yours for free. The only thing that it's going to cost you is putting your name down on the sheet to tell me that you took a book and then before the semester's over you're going to hear from me and I'm going to ask how you're enjoying the book. So if you take a book, you're committing to read it uh, and then get that contact from me and I would love to hear uh, what you're learning from the book. So if you're a leader, if you're brand new, if you're an attender, whatever uh, case may be for you, would love to have you grab that book, read through it and then we can talk about it. Just a very simple basics of this is what the church of God should look like. As I said, uh, we come to the end of Philippians, and at the end of Philippians, we see Paul's signature. Last week was the closing of the letter. In fact, he ended with amen. And then this is actually his signature. And when we look at his signature, the signature of this letter can tell us a, a lot about Paul 
It tells us a lot about the letter and also the contents of the letter. But it also ends with a benediction. So today we're going to talk about a benediction, what a good word spoken is, and we're also going to recap Philippians. But before we do, I I think that it would be helpful if we got a little um, illustration here of what a signature does. So Paul's signature says a lot about the book, and our signature on our email says a lot about us as well. So we're going to go through some email signatures and what it says about us. Now, before I jump too deep into this, I've done all these things, so I'm really making fun of all of us when I say these things. So sometimes you may end your email with just your first initial. So for me, this would be J for Jason. If you end, if you sign your email with just your first initial, what you're saying is, I really want to be friends, right? You're trying to be casual. You're trying to be friendly. Let's look at another example, warmest regards. Warmest regards is a pretty popular way to end your email. If you sign warmest regards, you want to sound warm, but you're probably a bit too chilly. Here's another example from the desk of Captain Marvelous. From the desk of Captain Marvelous. If you send this email, if this is your signature, then you work in IT, most likely. Here's another example, best. Best, short and sweet. It's a very popular signature on your email. This means that you're in middle management and you don't want to sound too casual nor too professional. I have also found that this can be used to soften the blow. If you've said something that could cause conflict in your email, then you're like, best. (laughs) I don't think you think that. Best. Here's another example. Uh, We have the thanks, comma, thanks, comma, and then sign your name. That's often how I sign my emails. You're aware of that you're asking for my time and you're appreciative. Oh, that's, that's nice. That's a good idea. Maybe thanks. Or maybe you end your email with thanks and three exclamation points. And if so, you might be a serial killer. (laughs) Calm down. Calm down. One, one more example. Sent from my iPhone. If this is how you sign your email, then you need to find a 13-year-old to help you with your technology. They can set up your signature for you. How you sign your email says a lot about you and a lot about the contents of your email. Paul's signature here tells us a lot about what he has said in Philippians. And most importantly, it reminds us of the good news of the gospel. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that you have spoken to us through your word. God, would you give us ears to hear and minds to understand and hearts to believe and hands and feet ready to do what you say. Father, thank you that you have spoken a better word over us through the good news of the gospel. And God, as we reflect on the good news, may it impact us afresh tonight. God, maybe we've heard about the good news of the gospel our whole lives or we're hearing about it for the first time tonight, but we pray that you would use it that you would show us that it is good news and why it is good news, and through it, you would change us and make us into the people that you have called us to be. God, bring to mind the things you have said during this series. And God, we pray that we would leave here with your name on our lips. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we look at this, the last line in verse 23 says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you, your spirit. This is Paul's benediction for this particular book, but as we see at the end of most of his books, or even sections that he writes, he'll have a benediction. A benediction just means a well-spoken word, or to speak well. It's often a short invocation that calls for divine help, blessing, and guidance at the end of a religious service. 
Some of us have a lot of context for this. Maybe you grew up in a church tradition where this is how every service was closed. For some of you, maybe it's a new concept. If you have gone to Grace Downtown more than a few weeks, you recognize that we do this most every week. We end with a passage of scripture that is often right out of scripture that is a good word spoken over the people of God. So tonight we're going to do two things. We're going to recap Philippians, and we're going to see how everything Paul has said is good news, and it's a good word spoken that we need to hear tonight. And then we're going, we're going to talk about this benediction. Why do we close with a benediction, and why do we need a good word spoken over our lives? So we'll start with some recap. First, the first major concept that we found in Philippians is that we are in Christ. We are in Christ. Paul starts this letter and ends this letter with the idea that we are in Christ. Ten times in the book of Philippians, we see this phrase, in Christ, and 80 times in Paul's New Testament letters, he uses this phrase, in Christ. A good example of this is found in 4, verse 19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. We are told here that we find everything that we need because we are in Christ. So what has Paul said in this letter that we need? He has talked about four main things that we need and we receive by being in Christ. The first one is salvation. Salvation. He ends this letter by calling them saints. Greet every saint who is in Christ Jesus. He starts this book by calling the church in Philippi saints. We talked about from the very beginning of Philippians, this word saint, he uses it for them, not because they are perfect, not because they have performed a miracle in the Catholic church, not because they play for the New Orleans football team. No, he calls them saints because they are perfect in Christ. When God sees them, he sees the righteous perfection of his son. See, because God is holy, he is perfect. He is all just, all holy, all good, all the time. And we are clearly not. We do not live up to his standard. We do not live up to our own standards. We go our own way. We try to be our own boss. We try to do all of the things that we've read about in Philippians, and we find that we fail to do them. There's a holy God. He's made us to have a relationship with him, but our sin has separated us from him. So in order to have a relationship with this holy God, we must be perfect, but we can't. We don't measure up. So Jesus, fully man, fully God, comes and lives the perfect life that we cannot. He always does the will of the Father, and therefore he is the perfect, spotless lamb that came to take away the sins of the world. So on the cross, he takes our sin and he gives us his righteousness. So what it means to be in Christ is to be saved. Colossians puts this very vividly when it says we are hidden with Christ in God. So what's the first thing we need? Salvation. The second thing we need is provision. Here we read that he will supply everything that we need, everything we need for life and godliness, everything we need to rejoice, everything that we need to have joy and peace and love, everything we need to face the day, whatever may come, he supplies everything that we need. And how can we know that's true? Well, because we are in Christ, the Holy Spirit, fully God, Holy comes and lives inside of us and provides us day by day everything that we need. I often pray with 
uh, for myself and I pray with my family and I pray with the church that God would supply all that we need, even the things we're not smart enough to ask for. Because at the beginning of the day, we think we know what we need. And by the end of the day, I'm always amazed at all the things I actually needed. But the Holy Spirit, the spirit of the living God lives inside of us and is helping us in each of those moments, big and small, to provide everything that we need for life and godliness. So we're given provision. The third thing that we need and we're given is joy. We're given joy. A joy that is outside of our circumstances. A joy that is outside of how we feel. A joy that is based on what God has done. We'll talk more about this in just a moment. And then we are given an identity. That was the big theme of this book in Philippians, our identity. Finding out who we really are. Finding our true selves. It is found by being in Christ. The second concept I want to point back to in Philippians is the idea of a gospel partnership. If we are in Christ, it connects us to everyone else that is in Christ. So we have a gospel partnership. We see here at the beginning of the book in chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always, in every prayer of mine, for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul goes back to this concept in every chapter of Philippians that we share one mind with one another because we are in Christ. And we talked about how at the very beginning of this series that if you are in Christ, you have something more in common with everyone else in this room that is also in Christ than your own biological family. We are tied together because we are in Christ. And this is such an important word for us in our day. We talked about a couple of weeks ago about how we are more technologically connected than we ever have been, but we're also more isolated and lonely than in any point in human history. We desperately need a gospel partnership. We need to come together with brothers and sisters in Christ in groups large and small and remember who we are. And live out our gospel partnership. We need one another. We can't even obey what the New Testament tells us to do if we are not in partnership with one another. If we aren't connected to something larger than ourselves. It's one of the first main introductions to the book Rediscovering Church that I talked about earlier. It talks about how we're connected to something. The reason that they put this book out is because the pandemic sent everyone to their own corners and way too many people stayed there. And thought they could worship God on their own as an individual. And they didn't need people anymore. They just watched the service on HDTV in their sweatpants. But the book reminds us what the Bible reminds us from cover to cover. We are in a partnership with one another. So Paul reminds us of this. Third, the third main concept that Paul points us to is the idea of rejoicing because of grace. Rejoicing because of grace. Remember, the word rejoicing means a state of being based on joy and not on circumstances. Philippians 4, 4 through 5 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Remember, Paul says rejoice, but then right away says, Again, I will say rejoice because he anticipates their objection to rejoicing. 
And friends, I talked about anxiety a few weeks ago in my own struggles with anxiety. The more I have had victory over that anxiety, the more, by the grace of God, I have experienced joy. But you know what steals away and, and fights at my joy more than anything else? The yeah, but. I'm starting to feel joy, but this thing is coming. Or I haven't worked this out yet. Or what about that sin from earlier today? I go back to the shame of the past. I am fretting about what's going on right now. I have worries for the future and it comes in and it steals that joy away or it tries to. Here, Paul anticipates that, but by saying rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. No, I really mean it. That's what he says. I really mean it. Because we are in Christ, we can rejoice right here, right now. Even as you're sitting here right now, in the back of your mind, there's a splinter in your mind saying, yeah, but, yeah, but, I'm not quite done with school. But my marriage isn't quite where I want it to be. But I think I'm in a dead-end job. But I'm racking up student debt and I have no idea how I'm going to pay it off. Yeah, but, and Paul says, rejoice. I will say it again, rejoice. Then the idea of identity, as I mentioned earlier, our true identity is found by being in Christ. Look with me at Philippians 3, verse 20 through chapter 4, verse 1. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. He reminds them that they are citizens of heaven. There is a reason that at the moment of our salvation, we are just not snatched up right into heaven. And it's because though we are now a citizen of heaven, we are ambassadors for Christ. An ambassador represents his sending country, his sending kingdom, his sending king. And we are citizens of heaven and we have a good king and a good kingdom, but he has left us here to be ambassadors for him. The decisions that we make, the things we do with our life, the things that we do with our money, the things that we do with our education and our family and the choices that we make are all based on the fact that we are an ambassador of Christ and that we are already a citizen of heaven. This is who we truly are. No matter what the world has said about you, no matter what others in the kingdom of man have said about you, no matter what other influential people in your life have said about you, this is who you truly are. And You are a citizen of heaven and you are here in the kingdom of man awaiting a savior. And someday he will transform your lowly body, this body of flesh, into a glorious body. And the one that holds the power to do so is the one who has the power to subject all things under his feet. Colossians said all things, speaking of Christ, all things were made by him, through him, and for him. And he is the one that holds your sanctification and your future glorification in his hands. It's his power that will do it. That's our identity. That's who we are. Therefore, we can stand firm. We can stand firm in who we really are. And lastly, this idea of a good word spoken or a benediction. A good word spoken over us. This is what we need. A benediction reminds us of who we really are. 
A benediction reminds us that there, are good, there is good news in a world of bad news. What words have been spoken over you? What words have been spoken to you by those who are influential in your life? What words and labels have you heard from those that are in intimate relationship with you? Even going back to when you were a kid, what words have been spoken over you? We take these words and we believe them as labels and we take them on as our identity and we start to believe that they're true. And what's even worse is we then start to believe that our heavenly father sees us the way that humans see us. And we get a view of God that he's angry with us or disappointed or just ambivalent. What words have been spoken over you? Because here's the thing, words are powerful, aren't they? The old adage, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me is just false. It's just a lie. A small example, and then we'll look at a biblical example. When someone cuts you off in line at Walmart, but they don't say anything to you. True story yesterday happened to me. When someone cuts you off in line at Walmart, but they don't say anything, you're momentarily irritated and delayed, but then you check out and get to your car. And you're like, oh, I'm glad I made it out of there alive. And you just kind of move on with the rest of your day. But if the same person looks at you and says, stupid, cuts you off, you're never going to forget it. It's going to ruin your whole day. A small example, but the reality is that words do sting. They do hurt. We can't stop thinking about them. It's following a biblical principle found in James chapter 3. You can look up here with me on the screen. James 3 verses 6 through 8 And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. James, I'm not sure what you're really trying to say right? How vivid can you get? We're going to dive into this more fully in June and July when we go through the book of James. But for right now, I want to point out a couple of things. First, the second sentence in verse six is actually a positive. It's been translated into English in a way that we're not quite sure if it's positive or negative. But in the original Greek, it is a positive. The tongue is set among our members by God and it influences the whole body. God has put our tongue in us and he has made it powerful for a reason. But James has then put that in the context of what we have done in our sin with the tongue. He has made our tongue, he has made words to be powerful and we have taken that and we have done great evil and brought destruction. He says the tongue is fire. It is a whole kingdom of unrighteousness. It sets on fire the entire course of life and that fire is from the pit of hell. It can't be tamed, even though wild animals can be tamed. It is a restless evil, meaning it cannot rest. And it's full of deadly poison. Words are powerful. We need a better word spoken over our lives, and we need better words to speak to others. This idea of a benediction, it did not start with Paul, and it did not start at Grace Community Church. 
It starts in the Bible. The first example is found in Genesis 12 where the Lord says to Abraham, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you so you will be a blessing to many nations. It's a good word spoken, a promise given to Abraham. And then in Numbers chapter 6, we see the formal benediction given to the people of God that churches have used for many years to close a service. And we're going to take a look at those words tonight. Numbers chapter 6, 22 and 23, it gives us a little context. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his son saying, thus you shall bless the people of Israel and you shall say to them, before we get into the heart of the benediction, this gives us our context. God says, a, says, I'm going to give you, Moses, a good word. You pass it on to your brother Aaron. He passes it on to his kids, and they will pass it on to the whole nation of Israel. Why did the nation of Israel need a good word spoken over them? Because they have just come out of slavery. The only identity they know is that of a slave. And now God is delivering them He delivered them from the Egyptians. He delivered them through the Red Sea. He has now delivered them and is taking them to the promised land that we sang about. And here he wants to speak a better word over them, to give them a new identity. He wants to put good news on their lips. And what does he say? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace so shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. I don't know what your relationship to this passage is. Perhaps it's embedded in your brain like crazy because you heard it every single Sunday growing up. Or maybe this is a new concept for you. Either way, I would love to dig into it. I had a 60-something-year-old man this morning come up to me and say, I went to Lutheran church my entire life. They read it at the end of every service, and I've never known what that meant until today. Maybe we should talk about it. First, the Lord bless you and keep you. The word bless here in the Hebrew, it actually points out a posture. The posture that it is speaking of is a kneeled posture. When it says the Lord bless you, it's saying the Lord be on his knees towards you. When you're on your knees, it's very hard to look around. It kind of trains your focus on one thing. This starts out by saying, may the Lord kneel towards you. May he put his attention towards you. Then may the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. We know from scripture that the Lord training his focus on someone is not always good news, right? When a holy God looks mankind in the face, if they have not been purified, they often just fall over dead. But here it's saying the Lord's attention is towards you and may his face shine upon you. May his face shine upon you. Isn't it the best feeling in the world when someone's face lights up when you walk in the room? Maybe it's a a parent, maybe it's a child, maybe it's a sibling, maybe it's a brother and sister in Christ, a friend, that their face lights up when you walk in the room. What a great feeling. Imagine this. The God of the universe has pointed himself towards you and there is a smile on his face. Not a smile of indifference, not a smile of disgust, but a smile You have brightened his face. 
the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. This means may the Lord notice you. The God of the universe has plenty to do. But he notices you. He's not busy playing on his phone. He's not looking elsewhere. He's not troubled with his own thoughts or anxiety. He's not stewing in his own anger. He's lifting up his countenance upon you. He's giving you his attention. And this obviously gives you peace. What more do you need? So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. You know what your identity is? You have the name of God stamped on you. The name of God is our identity. He is the one that we count on. When Moses objected to God sending him to deliver his people, what did God answer to Moses? He didn't just give Moses a new name. He said, I am who I say I am. That's what you need to know. May the God of the universe bless you and keep you. May his face light up when you walk in the room. May the Lord notice you and give you peace. We often lack peace because we have received something different from the kingdom of man. We have received looks of disappointment. We have seen harsh words. We have heard bad news. And so it is hard for us to have peace and really believe that the God of the universe notices us and his face shines upon us. But because of what Christ has done for us, when the father looks at us, he sees the righteous perfection of his son and he says to us, well done, good and faithful servant. I may have said this from the pulpit before. I know I've said it to many of you in person, but I often feel like because of what Christ has done, that I will be allowed into heaven. But when I stand before God, he's going to be like, I guess, because of Jesus. <laughs> right? That's not how it's going to go for those of us who are in Christ. We will be welcomed into the joy of our Savior. We will see him face to face. He will notice us and call us by name. And because we are in Christ and we are citizens of heaven, that is his posture towards you right now, if you are in Christ. So in light of this, what should we do? Do you guys mind if I take off my jacket and get super casual here? I'm sweating like crazy, sorry. What should we do in light of this? First, have the good news on our lips have the good news on our lips. The world is full of bad news. The world is full of false hope and false gospels and false narratives. We need the good news of the gospel on our lips. We need it for us and we need it for others. We need to be reminded of the good news of the gospel and we need to speak the good news of the gospel into a world that is full of bad news. We have been given the best news we have been given peace. We have been given the opportunity to rejoice and we need to have the good news of the gospel on our lips. There is always something to complain about. Always. Always. There's always a yeah but. There's always something to keep us from rejoicing. Yesterday, the sun was out all day and the wind was so strong it might blow you away, right? That's life, 
right? There's always something to worry about. There's always a fly in the ointment. There's always a cup that is half empty. But we have good news. We can share the good news. No matter what our circumstances, no matter what we're going through, no matter what is going on in the world around us, we can say, I am blessed. I'm blessed and I have good news and I can rejoice. We have good news for ourselves and for others. This should lead us to be very careful with our speech. Use our speech for good. We hear so many words that contradict what God says about us. And so many people in this world have heard words that contradict who God says they are. We need to be very careful with our speech. Our speech can give life. We need to give life to one another. We need to give life to our kids. We need to give life to those we are discipling. We need to give life to those we're just passing on the street. Our words can encourage in a powerful way. People don't do this anymore. People don't do this. People rarely even ask you questions about your own life. Have you noticed this, that most dialogue is just two people talking, like tweeting at the same time in the same room? But there's no dialogue or asking of questions. We can use our words to instill courage and life into other people. My wife has a a pithy way of doing this to breathe life into me and our four boys. When she knows we are facing something difficult, the last thing she will say to us before we leave the house is, you got this. You got this. And no matter what I'm leaving the house to do, whether it's doing a chore that I don't want to do or going to preach the gospel, I feel like, you know what? Maybe I do got this. Or at least God will come through in the end. Even when I don't feel like I've got this, those words make me feel like I do. I feel like I can do anything when I hear those words from her. We can give life with our words. Let's fill our minds, our lives, our homes, our friendships, our families, our places of work, and this church with words of praise to God and words of courage to one another. You have no idea what state people are in when they walk in this building. We want to look each person in the eye. We want to match the look on our Heavenly Father's face. And we want to say, I'm glad you're here. Next, we need to cultivate an awareness of being in Christ. If you are in Christ, it impacts every area of your life. We need to be reminded of this. We need to cultivate this in our lives. We need to do the things that it takes to remember that we are in Christ. Because there's so many things that make us think, well, maybe we're not. There's so many things that are fighting against our rejoicing and our joy. There's so many things that are bringing up the guilt and shame from the past. There's so many things that want us to be stuck in our suffering and the identities that the people of this world have given us. We need to cultivate an awareness of being in Christ. There's another phrase like this that we say about someone when every area of their life is being impacted and it's in love, right? When I first met my wife, the first uh, few weeks that we started dating, I was not acting straight. I was a little off my game because I was in love. I was distracted all the time. 
I was distracted at work. I was distracted at church. I was distracted going to the grocery store. It impacted every area of my life because I was in love. If we are in Christ, it impacts everything about us. Our emotions, our actions, our life, the way we make decisions, every area of our life. We need to do the things that remind us that we are in Christ. This looks like reading our Bibles, praying, listening to God, praising with the people of God, praising God with our lips and our music. This means working hard to the glory of God. It means resting well. It means Sabbathing, a true Sabbath of spirit. All of these things remind us that we are in Christ. And then we walk in the power of the gospel. Turn back with me to Philippians 4 once again as we look at Paul's signature here. There's a group of people that he mentions in this signature that seems to be out of place. Philippians 4, 21, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. Okay, makes sense so far. All the saints greet you, makes sense so far. Especially those of Caesar's household. There's some that are putting their greeting on this letter from Caesar's household. Not just Paul and the other apostles and the other Jews that have come to faith, but part of Caesar's household. Why is that? How can that be? See, Paul's in jail. And at the beginning of chapter 3 and the beginning of chapter 4, he says, finally, like he's going to finish and then he doesn't. One of the reasons I think he does that is because he's afraid he may die at any time. Because Caesar holds the key to his life and he could lose his head at any point. Caesar just has to say the word. So Paul is writing this letter from a jail, and Caesar holds the keys to his physical life. What is Paul doing as he is sitting there in jail? He is writing letters to the churches, but he is also rejoicing and sharing the good news of what Jesus had done for him and what he can do for anyone who calls out to his name. And so what happens? People in Caesar's household start following Christ to the point where he is signing this letter partially on their behalf. When we speak the good news of the gospel, the gospel is powerful. As we demonstrate and declare the good news of the gospel in our communities, in our places of education, in our places of work, in our homes, it goes forth and it does the powerful work that God intends it to do. And if the world sees, and if our community sees a group of people in a gospel partnership with one another who are rejoicing outside of their circumstances and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, then they are going to want to know how we found this hope. And the gospel is going to go forth powerfully. And because we are in Christ, we have the ability to rejoice, to have the good news of the gospel on our lips, and God will use it. We have been blessed to be a blessing. After Easter, we're going to go through some psalms leading up to Easter, and then after Easter, we're going to go through a whole series about blessing others with our actions. What does it look like to demonstrate and declare the good news of the gospel? We humbly obey our Heavenly Father. We believe and speak the good news of the gospel, and he uses it for his good purposes. In just a moment, I 
think it's fitting to close our service with a benediction uh, from Numbers 6. So we will do that in just a moment. I want to close this by um, just reminding you of what this series has been about. It's been about believing who we really are. It's been about what it means to be in Christ. And this is what held the church in Philippi together, and this is what will hold us together as a church as well. Not our preferences, not our musical style. It will be the good news of the gospel and our identity that we find in Christ that holds us together. I want to tell you now, before I um, do the benediction, how to get your food because that's good news too. Um, After tonight, uh, we're doing a couple of things. We are going to eat pizza together. Um, So we are going to have some pizza. So as soon as we're done, we are going to tear down all the the chairs in this far section so we can line up to get our pizza. So go ahead and tear those chairs down. We'll leave all the other chairs over here up. Grab your pizza. We have to-go containers if you need to go. But if you're going to stick around, you can just go right back to where you're sitting in the rows because we are going to have a theological panel tonight. These theological panels are something we did routinely before COVID. We haven't done them in a couple of years due to COVID, but we are reconstituting them tonight. And there's a couple goals of these theological panels. One is to equip the church so we learn more about our faith and we learn more about theological issues in the church. But the other one is so that we can see mature believers disagree with one another in a generous way. It's a lost art and we want to do it for one another. And so we have a great panel of folks up here tonight that are going to be talking about baptism. We are going to have Will, my friend uh, from down the street, the Presbyterian pastor, come and talk about infant baptism. We're going to have Andrew Meredith talk about adult baptism. And Cindy Solwer, our uh, children's director, will be here talking about discipling the next generation. So should be profitable. If you need to run, you can take your pizza to go. The kids can play and run around in the back as we have our theological panel. Would you stand with me? Father, thank you for speaking today. God, we know that we need to hear first and foremost from you. God, we pray that you would continue to speak. While we can close, uh, conclude this sermon series, God, we pray that you would keep speaking, keep telling us who we are. Remind us of the good news. God, stamp your name on our hearts and our lives. God, we pray that our lives and our church and eventually our community would reflect the glory of God. God, we pray that we would fill our lives and this community with the good news of the gospel. God, we pray that we would be your good news people in partnership with one another. God, we pray that we would dismiss all the false identities that this world has given us and that we would remember that we are in Christ. Help us to love and serve one another with the generous love with which you have shown us. God, we pray that we would love our community in the same way. And we pray that we would speak and believe the good news of the gospel. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In Jesus' good name we pray. Amen.